0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast on the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1-22. through What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics. For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study takes us to Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. We're going to go 21.9 through 22.5. What happens in this section is that John, first off, describes the New Jerusalem. 21.9 through 21, the physical characteristics of the New Jerusalem. Then in verses 22 through 27 of chapter 21, John describes the glory that's due to the presence of God in the New Jerusalem. And then 22, 1-5, he describes this new Jerusalem in the sense of a restored earth and a restored Eden. Now note, of course, that it's the presence of God that makes this temple glorious. As we mentioned last time, Leviticus 26, 11-12, and Ezekiel 37, 27-28, that I will be their God, and they'll be my people, and I'll walk among them, and I'll dwell among them. Uh, the new Jerusalem, then, is a, a new society. It's founded upon uh, the, the presence of God amongst his people, and the result is the healing of the nations rather than the conquest and exploitation of the nations that we saw in the heart of Babylon. The kingdom of God comes now, of course, only when all evil has been de- has been um, um, defeated. Now, what's important about the New Jerusalem as well, and this description here in 21, even going back to verse 1 uh, through 22.5, is that this is the goal of Scripture. This, this is the end. This is the goal of the biblical narrative. And we would do well then to learn from this. Because if we know the end result, if we know the goal, what what, what we're shooting for, what we're aiming for, then we can determine in the present the direction that we should be heading. Uh, So many Christians, I think, have this notion that heaven is this place that we go to someday where we just get to sit back in the clouds and play harps and worship God. Uh, And the failure to understand that the New Jerusalem is the ultimate goal, where God dwells among his people. And the intimacy of God dwelling among his people, as we mentioned last time, has already begun. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians and elsewhere in 1 Corinthians and uh, um, Ephesians and other passages as well, the Holy Spirit dwells among God's people already, that eternity has already begun. Uh, John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Eternal life is knowing God, uh, and eternity, the new Jerusalem, is dwelling with God in intimacy and beauty, and glory, and all that transpires as a result of that. The result then becomes, as we noted last time in Revelation chapter 7, uh, Revelation 21, there's no more mourning, or crying, or death, or pain. The the sun does not beat down on us, nor any scorching heat, because the Lamb in the center of the throne will be our shepherd, and he'll guide us to the springs of the water of life. If if the end result is dwelling in intimacy with God, and if dwelling in intimacy with God is something that's already true in the present, then should we not structure our lives so that we live in accordance with this truth? Instead of just sitting back thinking, well, I'm just going to sit back passively by because I'm okay because I have Jesus in my life and someday I get to go to heaven. The reality then is the New Jerusalem is not simply something that's holy future. It's not something that, that, that we have to wait for someday. It's something that's already begun in the presence because it's the presence of God amongst his people. Let me read, Revelation 21, verse 9. I saw one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal-clear jasper. and had a great and high wall with twelve gates. And at the twelve gates were twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates in the east, and three in the north, and three in the south, and three gates in the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its width, and he measured the city with a rod. 1,500 miles, or 12,000 stadia in the Greek. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards, or 144 cubits in the Greek, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. And it goes on to list 12 uh, different stones in verses 19 and 20. And the 12 gates, verse 21, were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass and I saw no temple in it for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it for the glory of God has illumined it and his lamp is the Lamb and the nation shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring the glory into it and in the daytime for there will be no night there its gates will never be closed and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean. And no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a river, the water of life, as clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding as fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have the need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours, and of your brothers the prophets, and of those who hear the words of this book. Worship God. Now, a couple things to note again, that uh, the the New Jerusalem is, again, not something holy future. It's something that's begun in the present, as Paul says in Second Corinthians. Also, as I mentioned last time, it's not the destruction of the cosmos and some new creation out of, out of nothing. It's the restoration, the, the, the redemption, the, the, the resurrection of God's pre- present uh, creation. But the most significant feature of the New Jerusalem, of course, is the presence of God. Also note the comparisons with the book of Genesis and the Garden of Eden. In the, in the book of Genesis and the Garden of Eden, God dwells face-to-face with mankind in Genesis 3. And he does so here in Genesis 21, verses 3 and 4. In both instances there's gold of the highest quality. In both instances there's a river. In both instances there's a tree of life. And in both instances there's the well there's a curse in Genesis three, and then the removal of that curse in Revelation chapter twenty two. What's also important to note is the references to the book of Ezekiel that we've mentioned before. Uh, Ezekiel thirty seven through forty eight seems to provide the overall parallel structure for what's happening in Revelation chapter thirty nine uh, in Revelation chapters nineteen through twenty two. Let me just read a couple verses from the book of Ezekiel, just kind of give us this little clue and this indication. We already noted Ezekiel thirty-seven in the last couple of sessions, where God promises that He will dwell among His people again. There are references in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, the Gog and Magog, that parallel the descriptions of Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter twenty. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter forty, verse two says, "In the visions of God, He brought me into the land of Israel." And he set me on a very high mountain, which parallels the mountain in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. And and, uh, on it, to the south, there was a a structure like a city. So he brought me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, and like a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand. And verse 5 and following goes on to describe the fact that in his measuring measuring rod, he goes on to, to measure the thickness of the walls. Then in chapter 43, it says, he led me to the gate the gate facing toward the east and behold the glory of god was uh, of israel was coming from the way of the east and his voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory and it was like the appearance of the vision which i saw like the vision which i uh, saw when he came to destroy the city and the visions were like the vision when i which i saw by the river Shabar, and i fell on my face and the glory of the lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east and the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and behold the glory of the lord fill the house verse 7 and he said to me send a man this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever verse uh, 9 i will dwell among them forever we see a number of references here in the book of ezekiel that correspond to passages in the book of revelation uh, john the prophet ezekiel is taken to a high mountain where he sees a structure like a city so also john was taken to a high mountain where he, he saw the the holy city the new jerusalem Uh, We see in the prophet Ezekiel that there's a man with a measuring rod, and he he goes on to measure the the structure that he's about to see, the city that he's about to see, just as John has a measuring rod in which he measures the the city that he's about to see. References to the holy place and God's dwelling amongst his people and the place of God's presence amongst his people. But most significantly is is Ezekiel chapter 47. In chapter 47 now, it goes on to describe this, this city in particular, that actually it's not a city, it's a temple. And it says, He brought me to the back door of the house, verse 1. And behold, there was water that was flowing from under the threshold of the house, and the house is clearly the temple, toward the east, for the house faced east. In fact, all temples in the ancient world faced east, confirming again that this is a temple. And water was flowing down from underneath the altar, from the right side of the house, from the south side of the altar. And He brought me out by the way of the north gate, and He led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a lion in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through water, water reaching the ankles. Verse 4. He measured a thousand, and he led me through water, water reaching the knees. And again he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, water reaching the loins. And he measured again a thousand, and it was a river that I could not ford, for the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. So the first thing to note is Uh, There's there's water coming from the temple in Ezekiel 47. And that water seems to be coming from the altar, the throne of God himself. And as it exits the temple, it's just trickling. But as he goes farther and farther, the water keeps getting deeper and deeper. Now, the reality, of course, is that this is actually impossible. Water, rivers can't get deeper unless there's tributaries feeding into them. Um, But there's no tributaries feeding into this river. This river's getting deeper and deeper. Verse 8 says in chapter 47, He said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region and they go down into the Arabah. Arabah is the Hebrew word for desert. Uh, They go out toward the east, uh, toward the sea. Now, of course, this is not the Mediterranean Sea. That's toward the west. This water is coming out from the temple and it's going uh, from the temple mount to the east and it's heading towards the Dead Sea. So verse uh, 8 again. They go toward the sea, uh, being made to flow into the sea, and these waters of the sea become fresh. And it will become about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river grows will live. There will be many fish, for these waters go there, and others become fresh. So everything there will live where the river goes. It will come about that fishermen will stand beside it, from Engedi to Englim. There will be a place for spreading for the spreading of nets. Those are two cities on the on the Dead Sea. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh, for they'll be left for salt. And by the river on its bank, on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They'll bear every month, because their waters flow from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be food, and their leaves will be for healing. So it's important then to note that in John's description of the New Jerusalem, of God's eternal dwelling amongst his people, numerous parallels with the book of Ezekiel, both a measuring line, and uh, going up on a mountain, and seeing a city, and then measuring the city, and the description of the temple, and the place of God's presence. But especially in chapter 47, this water that comes from the threshold of God outside the temple and it goes out to the desert into the Arabah and out down to the Dead Sea and everything becomes living. Revelation 22 verse 1 again says, He showed me a river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street, verse 2 says, On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That the broad structure of Revelation 21, 9 through twenty-two five then is based on the vision of Ezekiel 40-48. It's significant because it reminds us now that Revelation is interpreting this passage of Ezekiel by collapsing temple, city, and land into one end-time picture, portraying the reality of God's communion with His people. The dimensions and arch- architectural features are drawn in large part from Ezekiel 40-48. Now, it's also important to remember that the description of the New Jerusalem and uh, the Bride of Christ is in contrast with the heart of Babylon. We note, of course, many times now the parallel wording of chapter 17, 1 and 3 with Revelation 21, 9 and 10. Thus, the New Jerusalem is then a description of a magnificent city in order to convey the splendor and majesty that the saints will enjoy from being eternally in the presence of God. That The New Jerusalem is the antithesis of, of Babylon, the uncity. David Barr notes that, quote, But instead of a woman, he sees a city. Or we might say that whereas in the horse scene, John saw a city in the figure of a woman, here John sees a woman in the figure of a city. The description of the New Jerusalem then begins with John being taken to a high mountain. High mountains are important places where God discloses himself. Of course, most notably in the Old Testament where God uh, gives Moses the Ten Commandments and the law up on a high mountain. John then says in verse 11 that this holy city that came out of uh, heaven had the glory of God. Of course, the, having the glory of God is a reference to God's eternal presence that is there, his temple presence. John goes on to say that her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal, crystal clear jasper. Of course, the description of God in Revelation chapter 4 says that the one who was sitting on a throne was like a jasper stone and like a sardius in appearance. Again, telling us that this city reflects the glory of God. But the city is the bride. Now the city has a great and high wall in verse 12. Of course, the high wall s- signifies the security of god's people they've um, chapter seven they were sealed and divinely protected now they're protected by a great and high wall the the wall has 12 gates and at the at the, at the 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of israel and then there are 12 foundation stones and on them are the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb as we go through the book uh, go through the description of the new jerusalem you're going to notice over and over again the number 12 or multiples of 12 the city has 12 gates, which have the names of the 12 tribes, and has 12 foundation stones with the names of the 12 apostles. And then the wall of the city is going to be 144 cubits thick. Uh, the dimensions of the city is 12,000 stadia. The measuring of the city with the golden rod, of course, me- uh, connotes its security, just as the, the temple was measured in Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, connotes the security of, of that which is measured. Uh, ancient cities in, the, uh, cities in the ancient world, the ideal cities, were always squares. Babylon was remembered as a square, so this city is a square, or maybe even a cube. Its length and width and height are the same size. The size of the city is interesting. It's actually 12,000 stadia, which is the approximate size of the known Hellenistic world, uh, the the Roman world. The New Jerusalem is the size of the Roman Empire, and maybe suggesting that the New Jerusalem encompasses the entirety of the the new creation, the entirety of the world. Uh, In that day, the the world was 12,000 stadia in its dimensions. Uh, I personally believe that this is indeed the case. That 12,000 stadia is a reference to the fact that the New Jerusalem encompasses the entirety of the earth. Uh, We we see in the description of the New Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from God, and John goes on to describe this city. But I think the best way to understand it is that this city encompasses the entirety of the New Jerusalem or of the new creation. Now that the city is a cube, its length and width and height are equal, is also important because that's actually the dimensions of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament tabernacle. The tabernacle had a length of, uh, was twice as long as it was wide. But the Holy of Holies was the same length, width, and height. Which means then that John's describing a city that encompasses the entirety of his creation. When he describes a city, he describes it in terms of a temple. When he describes it in terms of a temple, he seems to be only describing the Holy of Holies. The entire city is the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies encompasses the entirety of the new creation which I believe is this fulfillment language of the Garden of Eden, that there's indications in the Old Testament world that the Garden of Eden was supposed to expand and fill the earth as as Adam and Eve took God's presence with them and filled the earth and, and, and multiplied, so God's presence would go with them and fill the entirety of the earth. Thus, the New Jerusalem is a cube indicating that it's actually the Holy of Holies which encompasses the entirety of the new creation. John goes on to say that the material of the wall was jasper and the city was made of pure gold like clear glass. And then the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. And he goes on to list 12 stones. Uh, These 12 stones or 12 jewels seem to be based on the 12 stones of the high priest's uh, breastpiece of judgment. The high priest's breastplate, it's hard for me to say that, uh, had these 12 jewels, but it also had the 12 names of the 12 tribes, uh, which was the symbol for Israel. The the symbolism here in the book of Revelation then seems to suggest that the privilege of the high priest entering in the presence of God is now the privilege of all of the redeemed. John goes on to say that he didn't see a temple. He expected to see one. But of course, the reality is that the entirety of this new city is the temple. There's no need for a temple, he goes on to say, because after all, the Lord God and the the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The fact that God dwells in the midst of the city, which is the essence of the New Jerusalem, means that the entirety of this place becomes a temple. He goes on to say then that the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring its glory into it. This is indeed the redemption and the restoration of the nations. The the reason why the the prayer of the saints in chapter 6, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood, was not answered, or at least they were told that they had to wait for a little while longer, was so that the nations would be redeemed. And the nations have indeed been redeemed. Of course, those who don't follow Christ and did not choose to accept Christ have been destroyed. We've read about that. But the rest of the nations were indeed redeemed. The, the nations that once ruled and destroyed Jerusalem are now streaming into it. The beginning of chapter 22 continues the description of uh, the New Jerusalem with the throne of God, which was in heaven, is now in the New Jerusalem and among men. The river of life, which is the person of the Holy Spirit, especially in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus' discussion with the woman at the well in John 4, verses 10-14, and then John seven thirty-seven 37-39, where John explicitly says that he had been speaking about the spirit when he was referring to the water earlier, which, of course, is a reference to the book of Ezekiel 47, 1-12, and this water that flows out of the temple. We also see the presence of the tree of life, which is a picture of a renewed Eden. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Uh, Revelation adds to Ezekiel, then, that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and the healing corresponds to life. It's not necessarily Physical healing, but eternal life. There's in fact no longer any curse. It's not a ban on things, but on people who did those things. In the Old Testament, the, the the nations were cursed. They were excluded from God's presence. And now the nations are streaming into God's presence. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his na- and his servants will worship him, which includes the nations, and they will they will see his face. Remember, throughout the entirety of the biblical story, God's face had to be mediated, maybe by by smoke or described as jewels. And now the full awareness of God's presence and of God's power is now made known to all. And the reality, the result then is God's name will be on their foreheads. Now, one final aspect of the New Jerusalem that's important to note is that the promises in chapters 2 and 3 are suddenly realized now in Revelation 21 and 22. In chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches were each told that the one who overcomes will inherit all these things. They were told in 2 verse 7 that they will eat from the tree of life, which is fulfilled in 22 verse 2. They'll be included in the new temple in Revelation 3 verse 12, which is fulfilled in this particular passage. They will participate in the new Jerusalem in 3 verse 12. They'll have the name of God on themselves. One's name will be written in the book of life. There'll be a bright stone and a luminary. They'll reign with Christ, and they'll be excluded from the second death. All of the elements, then, of the seven promises to the churches to overcome in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are then fulfilled in the New Jerusalem. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.